Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. There are a lot of tools in the tool chest now to fight COVID-19, as well as other respiratory ailments. But one you don't hear talked about enough is significantly improving the air quality in buildings. I mean, did you know there's actually something called sick building syndrome? We wanted to talk about the importance of improving building air quality and how hard it is to do. So we caught up with Dr. Brian Cummings. He is a research scientist who studies indoor air quality and healthy buildings at Drexel University. We've been focused on masks for so long. They've been front and center when it comes to trying to prevent the spread of of COVID-19 over the the last couple of years. But you had a recent column in the Inquirer, and you really kind of talk about we can kind of make masks almost obsolete if we focus on the air quality in buildings. Kind of talk about how big a deal this is. Yeah, so... COVID is airborne, right? We've known this for a while. So that means that we exhale, we cough, we speak, and aerosols come out. And what masks do, cloth masks at least, you know, they can stop a lot of those aerosols because they just get caught by like the momentum when when we're speaking. Um, But an N95 mask, that'll protect the wearer, right? Um, so that, that acts as like a filter. So all those aerosols that are in the air that came from, you know, our exhaled breath, um, that'll just block, if it's, if it's a well-fit mask, that'll block any of those particles from getting into your lung. So I'm not, I, I, I love masks. I love N95 masks. Um, I'm going to probably continue to wear them in certain circumstances, you know, as I see fit, but we can remove we can prevent these particles from getting into our lungs in a lot of different ways. Uh, we can use filters and HVAC systems. We can use portable air cleaners, and then we can just carry them out of the buildings and expel them outside where they're going to be diluted and won't really pose a threat anymore. Um, so I think, you know, we're in a bit of this paradigm shift right now. Uh, we, you know, the, the moment, the environmental movement for outdoor air quality was maybe half a century ago. And I think this pandemic is really bringing the importance of cleaning our indoor air um, up to that same you know, forefront of, of our you know, current zeitgeist, really. And to that point, I mean, this is something that COVID-19 has put front and center. But in setting up this interview, I learned about the idea of sick building syndrome. Like this is the air quality in large office buildings. This is not a new trend that has just come about here since February of 2020, correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, We've been, you know, the, the indoor air quality field has been around for a couple of decades now, and it's, it's it's really taken off in the last decade or two, but we've, we've known for a long time, how just a stuffy building can affect our functionality can give us headaches. It can, you know, make us perform poorly on cognitive tasks bad air quality in buildings can, you know, contribute to asthma and uh, good air quality in buildings can lead to a reduction in, you know, morbidity and mortality due to asthma, respiratory diseases, heart diseases. It can lead to better gains in productivity, um, economic gains, even for just profit-minded business owners who are trying to run a 
productive office. It can lead to higher test scores. So the, the real economic gains of, of good air quality and healthy air are just so broad and uh, they can reach so far into our society. And the just kind of define the sick building syndrome thing, because that just fascinated me. But is it just kind of buildings with poor air quality just kind of stay in this cycle of people getting sick or, or you know, kind of keep passing the same germs through and through? Or am I simplifying it too much? Well, sick building syndrome refers to a pretty acute kind of expression of symptoms. This is when people get into a building that just has low ventilation. So high concentrations of carbon dioxide, it's, they're probably not thermally comfortable um, and perhaps high particle concentrations. Um, so this leads to people going into a building, getting a headache, kind of getting sleepy, not able to really focus, sometimes coughing. Um, and then as soon as they leave the building, they feel better. So that, that, that's what sick building syndrome is. But the air quality and in, 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 in indoor air quality, um, those have implications that can reach far beyond simply sick building syndrome. Uh, that sort of ties into what I was talking about earlier with all these other impacts on our day-to-day lives and our long-term health, as well as just the acute impacts of that short-term health. So let's say I'm a building owner. What are we talking about I would have to do? Are we talking retrofitting an entire HVAC system? Are there kind of, I don't, I don't want to make light of it, but like different tiers, like there's the the things you could go all in on, you know, then there's maybe moderate changes you can make that'll make things better and kind of maybe piecemeal things that, you know, if you're really going to do the bare minimum that, that you could do that would still make a difference, kind of explain what we could see. Yeah. I mean, you're, the, there are lots of different ways for building owners or residents to just improve their air quality. Um, so ventilation is the introduction of fresh air from the outdoors. That's the most basic way that we control air quality in buildings. Um, ASHRAE, the American Society of uh, Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning, uh, they set standards for minimum acceptable levels of ventilation. Uh, these minimum standards, they're, you know, minimum acceptable standards. So they kind of are based on somewhat arbitrary trade-offs and conversations between managing air quality, but also saving money on heating and cooling costs of that outdoor air. But we do know that, you know, going beyond those minimum standards is, um, you know, can substantially lead to improved outcomes in, in our health. So that's one way of improving air quality in buildings. And that's the most cumbersome and most expensive way of doing it. Um, you would need to, depending on how much more outdoor air you'd want to bring, you might need larger HVAC ducts. You're going to need bigger fans. You're going to just, you're going to increase your demand for heating and cooling. Um, under some conditions, we can talk about some conditions where actually more ventilation will save your building energy. But yeah, that's going to be like the big ticket, a lot of capital costs, and that can lead to increased operating costs in the future. Um, but like you said, that that's not the only option. Um, one way that a lot of agencies uh, and buildings are improving their air quality are just replacing the filters in their HVAC system. Um, so you can go from a MERV-8, which is a minimum efficiency reporting value, from MERV-8 to a MERV-13. Uh, that's going to drastically increase the amount of particles that um, are going to get removed when they pass through that filter. 
So I know that SEPTA has actually upgraded their filters on all their vehicles from a MERV, from a MERV 8 to a MERV 13. Uh, so that's a very cost-effective way of just improving the, uh, reducing the particle concentration and reducing exposure to COVID-19 and other viruses. And uh, then in that same vein, another way to filter that air out is to deploy portable HEPA filters in your space. So you can get these off the shelf. Usually you can get a 200 to 300 cubic feet per minute, cubic feet per minute unit. And depending on how big your space is, one, two, or three of them uh, could be enough to meaningfully supplement that particle removal to reduce exposure to particles and other viruses. So these can be really easy to deploy, even if they might not be quite as cheap as just replacing a filter in your system. And then lastly, there's that DIY option, these Corsi Rosenthal boxes, where you can go to Home Depot, uh, buy a box fan, buy some MERV uh, 13 filters, and using uh, duct tape, create a little uh, device, and then just set that fan going, and that'll pull air through your filters and provide fresh air to your space. With regards to kind of the, you know, if you're looking to kind of redo the the vents and, our, and everything in, in a building... Is it a bigger challenge in a city like Philadelphia that tend that trends maybe a little older and you've got a lot of buildings that have been around for a long time? Does that make it a bigger challenge? That's an interesting question. I, I don't necessarily know how the age of the building would affect your ability to retrofit. In terms of the housing stock, like the residential housing stock, older buildings tend to have better air quality uh, because they're less well sealed. So you know, there's a cost to that. Uh, your heating and cooling costs are usually very high, but you tend to have quite good ventilation um, just due, due to natural infiltration coming through the cracks in the windows. In terms of newer residences, you know, if this is buildings where you live, like the, these newer, you know, medium rise five over one buildings that have these prefabricated curtain walls, windows that don't really open. In those residential buildings, it, it might be difficult, even though they're new. Um, because, you know, the, there's not a lot of space to work with, um, not a lot of space, uh, way, ways to retrofit these, uh, residences for new ventilation. Uh, I suspect office buildings, you might have an easier time just because there's so much, you know, room in, in their mechanical, um, that there's a lot of space allocated to mechanical systems in, in these office buildings. But uh, I'm actually not totally sure how the age of the building stock would affect that. You know, I, I think that for older buildings, you might be due for these upgrades anyway. So it could be more cost effective to um, when these buildings get repaired and tuned up to design them for better ventilation, better, better filtration. So we're talking about making changes here to increase airflow, increase ventilation. Regardless of what you do, it's going to cost money. And that's going to be the first thing that a building owner or a company CEO is going to look at. But are there are are there going to be savings down the road that they can count on and maybe point to that if it doesn't completely offset, we'll at least take a big chunk out of that that makes it easier to swallow making a big investment uh, to to improve airflow? Yeah, for sure. So there, there are two ways that bringing in more ventilation air can actually save a business owner energy. Um, of course, on the hottest and coldest days, it might cost more money to bring in more airflow. But there are many days throughout the year where it's actually more thermally efficient to bring in cool outdoor air to provide a light amount of free cooling to the indoor space. So 
that's one way that you can save money on providing more ventilation. But the way that we're really talking about is improving the health of your employees. If you're a business owner, for example, uh, that's going to do two things. It's, it's going to increase their ability to perform work and it's going to decrease the chances that they might get infected with whether it's COVID-19 or the flu or any other rhinovirus. So they'll, they'll take less sick days. Um, and we, we have evidence for that in the literature and we can actually model that. So um, there, there's work that uh, the, the research group that I'm part of at Drexel University um, came out with a couple of years ago. And uh, they did a modeling study across the whole United States um, for different kinds of these ventilation strategies. And they looked at so-called win-win approaches. And uh, their results indicate that if you tuned your, um, your ventilation system only to save energy, um, but to, while providing more ventilation, you could save um, up to $28 billion over um, all the offices of this type across the country, while you can save $55 billion for implementing a strategy to only target and uh, increase worker performance. So these cost savings, you know, they are significant for an employer and they can really scale up across the country as well. And I'm curious when we're talking about, you know, spending money, we see a lot of money out there from the American Rescue Plan that we're right now starting to actually see improvements made. And most of that is like infrastructure, road work, stuff like that. But is there money to be had to improve air quality out there? You know, is there money that's been designated specifically? Do we do we know that? Are, are there ways that maybe if you don't want to bear the whole costs, there's grants or, or stuff like that. I just, there's just so much money that's come out in the American rescue plan. It, it would almost seem silly in the midst of a pandemic that some of that money is not uh, designated to improve ventilation in, in important buildings. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, there definitely is that kind of funding. Uh, I know that Pennsylvania got over $6 billion of American rescue plan funding and in their uh, final policy rules that they released uh, just a couple of months ago. Uh, they do include uh, ventilation specifically as one of the uses of, of these kinds of funds. I am not sure how easy it is for business owners to apply for that kind of grant. And, and I don't know who is in charge of allocating those funds. The things that are competing with it, uh, not just ventilation, but I don't think this is the Paycheck Protection Program anymore, but a lot of it is, going, is just going to relief for businesses, um, people who were laid off. But I, I definitely do think there needs to be more of a push from our policymakers to uh, educate people on how they can not just use these rescue plan funds, you know, to um, as a band-aid for some of the pain that we're feeling, which, you know, we also need to use those funds for that, too. But to, to really build a resilient environment for the next wave of COVID and, and for the next pandemic. So going along, when you've got a lot of money to spend on something uh, there's always people that are looking to cash in on something like a pandemic, as crass as that sounds, but that's capitalism, you know, American capitalism as we know it. Uh, and this is something that not a lot of people are familiar with, you know, the air quality, making it better, stuff like that. They're spending money and then they're spending money wisely. Talk about things that, you know, 
how important it is to make sure you're getting the right information on something that not a lot of people are familiar with how it works to make sure you're spending the money correctly. Yeah, uh, you're totally right. The The indoor air quality industry has been looking for ways to make money for quite some time. The The most cost-effective technologies for filtering particles and viruses from our indoor air is, is just these kinds of filters that I've been talking about. They've been around for many, many, many decades. They work well. There's no need to reinvent the wheel, in, in, in my opinion. Maybe in some cases, it's, it's worth always exploring new technologies. Um, so one such technology is uh, ionizing technology. Um, ionizing technology has been attempted to be used for air cleaning for a long time, and there are many different iterations um, of this technology. The uh, um, sharper image, uh, sharper image ion breeze, I think, was a whole scandal from the 2000 aughts, where people were exposed to high, high, high amounts of ozone that were made um, by these filters that claimed to use ions, charged particles, to um, remove stuff from our air. And that kind of stuff costs a lot of money. The technology gets updated every couple of years. So now it meets one regulation. It doesn't make ozone. It makes a different kind of ion now. So the regulation is always kind of chasing this technology. But it's flashy. Like you said, it's, it's, it's capitalism. They can sell it at a premium. A lot of people that I know and institutions that I've seen, they've, they've sort of fallen for this really smart, really well done pitch by these companies. They say things like, oh, let's not just filter the virus, let's actually kill it. We're going to zap it. We're going to break it down. There's just no evidence that this works. Uh, there, there's, uh, there have been studies done since COVID um, by universities who specialize in researching indoor air quality that have looked at this technology. And it, it just doesn't work the way they say it does. There's nothing keeping these ions from targeting only the virus. They are put out into the air. And they just react with anything that's in it. And they can make stuff that's bad for our health. So uh, these companies have done really well <laughs> since the pandemic. Um, and they have a really good sales pitch. And there's a lot of money to be made on this kind of flashy technology and the profit margins on selling filters that have, you can get for a few dollars at Home Depot for 50 years. That's, that's less profitable. I know a lot of businesses have uh, put in some of these filters. And the Philadelphia School District, even uh, last summer, they um, announced a contract where they spent four and a half million dollars on air cleaning technologies um, of this of this type of this ionizing type. And uh, that was I don't know if it was American Rescue Plan money or uh, just taxpayer money that came from one of the city's coffers. But this is a problem all over the country. Uh, I know uh, the school district where I went to school, uh, uh, high school in New York, did this. Uh, I was seeing online there are schools all over the country in Texas that have spent in the millions of dollars of this kind of money. So I think the city of Philadelphia or the federal government or, or any level of government, we all need to bring our institutions together. And um, when we're setting these policies and when we're making money available for ventilation, especially when it's taxpayer money, ventilation or filtration. Um, it's really crucial that we make sure that money is, is being spent on things that will be effective for our health. And we need to make sure that that money is, is going a long way and is not just going into the pockets of business owners who are trying to exploit this, this health crisis that we have. 
That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 